Good morning, Hope Church. How y'all doing? Good, good. Everybody have a good week? Wow, that great, huh? Yeah, mine was a little weird, but um, it was pretty good. You know, when uh, Jonathan was given the announcements, uh, he said that, you know, women are the backbone of the church. They're really the backbone of everything, right? And it, it really brought to mind uh, a famous quote that says, behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. <laughs> Which is so, so true. But, you know, I, I heard someone ask, uh, this question this past week, and it wasn't asked directly of me, and I believe that they were probably half joking. But the question was, and you'll see the irony in this is he ever going to preach a sermon and not ask a question? And the answer is no. No. And there's a good reason for that because questions are good. Questions are good. Questions are a great communication tool. Questions make us think. At least I hope they make us think. If you're listening to my questions, hopefully you're thinking about them. Besides, the greatest communicator in history, Jesus, asked a lot of questions. There's some 307 or so that are recorded in the New Testament questions that Jesus asked. And if you've been with us, you know that we're in a series of messages that are exploring some of those questions. And I pray, friends, I really do, I pray that along with me, you are wrestling with your own answers to these questions. Because these questions are recorded in God's holy word for a reason. They're meant for us. They're meant for us to wrestle with and answer. And through this process, we learn a lot about ourselves. And friends, self-discovery, self-awareness is a huge part of the Christian life. That's one of the reasons that Jesus asks us all these questions, that we might know ourselves better. So, yes, I am going to ask a question. I'll probably ask a lot of questions this morning, but I'm going to begin with this one. What is the most valuable asset you possess? Now, for a lot of people, the answer is probably going to be something like, oh, my house, right, or my property. Some may have a very valuable piece of jewelry or a collection, Maybe a wedding ring or some sort of heirloom that's been passed down over the years. For some, it may be your business. Maybe you run a very profitable business that's very valuable to you. Others may say their bank account, their stock portfolio, their retirement savings, their 401k. And by the world's measure, friends, these things may be very valuable. But in the question that Jesus asks of us today, what we'll see is that our most valuable possession is our soul. It's our soul. 
Now, as you can see from the sermon title, if you want to put that up, the question that Jesus asks us is, what will it profit a man? Now, obviously, that's a shortened version of the full question. Couldn't get that all on one slide or in the bulletin, right? Space is precious. But the full question is, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And as we dig into this passage, we will discover the value of our souls. And we'll also see that there's no way that we can save our own soul. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, that's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. And as you're paging to that, you may notice something about the context in which this passage is found. And I know that we're all hyper aware of context, right? Context is very important. What you may notice is that this passage that we're going to read here and explore, it, it really takes place right on the heels of the very first question that we asked in our series of messages. Anybody remember what that very first question was? Who do you say I am? Right? That was the first question that we explored. And we saw, it's actually in verses 13 and following of chapter 16, which is where we're at, Jesus asked that question of his disciples. And he's asking that question of us today as well. Who do you say I am? Anybody remember what Peter's response was? He said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And friends, that should be our testimony about Jesus as well. Regardless of what the world says about who Jesus is, we know him to be the one and only Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. But then as we, as we kind of move forward in the story, Jesus tells them the true reason that he came to earth, right? Right? He reveals to them that he came to die on the cross. And he tells them in verse 21 and following that, yeah, we're going to Jerusalem. But there, he says, he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And on the third day, rise from the dead. And you probably remember the story. If not, you know, Peter rebukes Jesus and says, no, no, this can't happen to you. Right? And then, and then Jesus rebukes Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. A lot of rebuking going on. It's really kind of a tense moment between Jesus and the disciples. But what we glean from this is the fact that Peter and the disciples, they're just, they're just not fully comprehending who Jesus is. Yeah, they're starting to get it, but they're not all the way there. And Jesus, as he always does, sees this as a teaching moment. And he begins to teach them what it means to be a disciple. We pick it up in verse 24. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
Now, we could spend an entire sermon, probably even a small sermon series, just on this verse here. But very quickly, what Jesus is saying here is that there is a cost. There is a cost associated with discipleship. There's a cost associated with following after Jesus. And what Jesus does here, he links the denying of self with taking up one's cross. He puts them together because the two really mean the same thing. And back in the day, when Jesus originally said this some 2,000 years ago, everybody knew what he was talking about. Everybody knew what it meant when he said, the cross, your cross. Because the cross back then meant one thing and one thing only. It meant death. The cross was a symbol of death. Anybody that took up their cross, they were going to die. And really the death that we die, and we do, we, do, we participate in Jesus' crucifixion, but the death that we die is to our old self. We die to our old way of living, our old earthly desires. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. We're transformed. So when you place your trust in Christ, when you when you claim Jesus as your savior, when you come to a saving knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the old self is gone. The old self dies, and you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that new creation, that new creation is willing to bear the cost associated with following Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus really kind of gives us the inverse interpretation of this when he says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then we see, moving forward in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, Jesus tells us more about that cost of discipleship. He says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And what this verse tells us is that we must follow after Jesus or we will never find life. We must follow Jesus or we will never find true life. Life in this world, but life for all eternity as well. But if we let go, if we die to our old selfish desires, if we deny ourselves, and we take up our cross and follow after Jesus, that is how we find life. And again, there's a cost associated with it. question is, is it worth it? Well, Jesus actually addresses that in the following verses, and it's where we find our question for today. Actually, Jesus asked two questions in a row. I love this. 
Verse 26, he says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I prefer the English Standard Version here. It's subtly different. But what it says is, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits or loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I just like that idea of of, of the cost and the the idea of profit versus loss. You know, it's kind of a a cost-benefit analysis. I'm sort of a weird analytical person. I just kind of like the bent of that English Standard Version a little bit more. So Jesus talks about the cost. But I want to stop for a second and really explore this idea of one's soul. Let's look at what the Bible teaches about our soul. The Bible teaches that we all have a soul. It doesn't say we have soul. I can't dance, so I have no soul. But I have a soul, and you all have a soul as well. And that soul, that soul is separate from our bodies. We know that these bodies decay and that they die, right? We're all in the process of decaying and dying. But our souls, friends, our spirit is different. Our soul is eternal. Our soul will live forever. Jesus really speaks to this in Matthew chapter 10 where he teaches about fearing men. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Nobody can kill your soul. It's eternal. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he says, outwardly, in other words, the body Outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly, our soul, our spirit, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Peter wrote about this too in 1 Peter chapter 4. He talks about those who are dead in the body, but alive in the spirit, alive in the soul. And the fact of the matter is, friends, our souls are the most valuable asset we possess because they do not die. They do not die. The Bible teaches that each one of us has a soul and it teaches us that our souls are eternal. Another thing that the Bible teaches about our souls is that they are created in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, But we know that God doesn't have a body, right? Jesus himself says in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. God is spirit. And we are created in the image of that spirit. And it is that spirit, our soul, created in the image of God. That's what sets us apart from all of creation. Sets us apart from all the animals We're the only beings that have a soul. And it's created in the image of God. And it is by that soul that we have this inner moral compass, kind of a sense of what's right and wrong. And remember, remember that we said our soul is eternal. 
So what that tells us, friends, is that we need to evaluate everything, all of our actions, all of our decisions. We need to evaluate them from an eternal perspective. Because we, each one of us, our soul, will all spend eternity somewhere. And really, friends, it's either heaven or hell. It's either heaven or hell. Jesus taught about this in Luke chapter 16, where he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You may know the story, you may not, but Lazarus was a poor beggar. And one day he and this rich man, they both died. And it happened that Lazarus went to heaven. And Jesus talks about him being in heaven at the side of Abraham, being comforted by Abraham. But the rich man, he found himself in hell, being tormented. And he cried out to Abraham, Abraham, have pity on me. Allow Lazarus to just come down and and put a drop of water on my tongue because I am in agony here in this fire. But see, Abraham's reply is a lesson for us. Because what Abraham said, in essence, is remember your lifetime. Remember the choices that you made. You made your choice. It's too late. There's a chasm in between that cannot be crossed. You failed to consider the eternal consequences of your actions. Now you pay the price. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in verse 25 when he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That is the eternal perspective, and that's the perspective that we need to view the world through. And it's the eternal consequences that Jesus really speaks of in verse 27. There he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the second coming, isn't he? He's talking about judgment day. The day that that we will all stand before Jesus, the righteous judge, and give an account of our lives. And what we'll see is judgment for those who rejected him. But we'll see reward for those who were willing to believe in Jesus and take up their cross and follow after him. So the Bible teaches, friends, that we all have a soul. The Bible teaches us that our soul is eternal, right? Our soul is going to live somewhere, heaven or hell. And it teaches that our souls are created in the image of God. See, we are his creation. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He created us. And that gives us intrinsic value. 
You know that, right? We have value because we are his creation. But what I want us to stop and really consider very carefully this morning is the cost of redeeming our souls. I want you to think about the price that Jesus paid for our souls. We know that our souls are lost in sin. It's, it's, just, it's just a fact. It's the truth. Paul talks about it in Romans extensively. We're sinners. We all deserve the wrath of God. What could possibly save us? There's only one thing. There's only one thing, and Peter spells it out perfectly for us in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. That's it. That's it. As the old hymn says, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we have the privilege of celebrating that in just a few moments when we remember through communion the blood that Jesus shed, the price that he paid for your soul. Tell me your soul is invaluable. Jesus laid down his life for it. Tremendous value that God places on our souls. And quite honestly, it really answers the second question that Jesus asks us today. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What does Peter tell us? Nothing. There's nothing we can give in exchange for our souls. But that doesn't stop people, does it? Even us. It doesn't stop us from trying to exchange our souls for the things of this world. And unfortunately, some people trade their souls for the riches of this world. 1 Timothy chapter 6 tells us, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now I want you to notice that it doesn't say that money is bad. It's not what it says. Money in and of itself is not bad. Friends, it is the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. See, money isn't eternal. Money doesn't last. What's the old saying? You can't take it with you. The pharaohs tried. How'd that work for them? Not too good. Others may trade their souls for pleasure, like the young man tempted by the harlot, in Proverbs chapter 5, we studied that extensively this past summer. And we saw that, that pleasure, pleasure offers 
fulfillment. That's what pleasure offers. It offers fulfillment. But in the end, friends, it is momentary. It doesn't last. Pleasure is not eternal. And it only leads to death and destruction. And still others are willing to exchange their souls for a false doctrine. We see this, don't we? And it's sad. And it's something that we're warned to guard against. We talked about this some last week in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus told us to beware, right? Beware of false prophets. Beware of false doctrine. Peter and Paul both write about this extensively and they warn the churches of the New Testament and they're warning us today about false teachers who pervert the truth. They twist it to make it fit their evil desires. They use it to justify their sin. See, friends, the choices that we make have eternal consequences to our souls. And they have to be considered from an eternal perspective. I think about Moses. In uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, the writer there tells us that when Moses grew up, he refused to be called the daughter of Pharaoh's son. Instead, he chose to suffer with the people of God instead of enjoying the pleasure of sin and riches for a season. Verse 26 of chapter 11, it says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. That is an eternal perspective. Moses chose the eternal reward of faith in Christ, which is an eternity spent with God in heaven. He chose that over that momentary reward of sin and pleasure, which is an eternity spent separated from God in hell. And you know what, guys? There's no third option. I'm sorry. There's no in-between. It's one or the other. It's either heaven or it's hell. Your soul is saved or your soul is lost. So how valuable is your soul? It's incredible. Or how does Jesus put it? What profit is there if you gain the whole world yet lose your eternal soul? Besides, what can you possibly give in exchange for your soul? It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how much wealth or fame or stock or possessions. None of that will redeem your soul. Only the blood of Jesus. Unfortunately, one of the lies that Satan tells us is, oh, you got plenty of time to make things right with God. You got plenty of time. Go ahead, live it up, enjoy some pleasure. 
Hoard some, hoard some money. Do what you want. The problem is, friends, we really never know how much time we have. Jesus told a parable about this in Luke chapter 12. Talked about the rich man whose barns were bursting. Things were good, right? Said, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns for my crops. And I'm going to sit back. I'm going to relax. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And what did God say? You fool. You fool. This very day, your life will be demanded of you. See, you really don't know how much time you have. You don't. Tomorrow, even today, it's not guaranteed. But you don't have to lose your soul. Make the decision today. Give your soul to Him. Don't wait to start living. Because friends, you can begin your eternal life with Christ today. Just do it. You know, I've heard a lot of testimonies, but I've never heard anyone say they were glad they waited. Oh, I'm glad I waited to accept Christ as my Savior. No. But I've heard plenty who say they had wished they had accepted Him earlier. And they're so sorry for the mess that they made of their lives, doing it their way, enjoying pleasure. See, long after all those material things are gone and this, this, this wretched body is finally laid to rest, your soul will live on. The only question is where? Will it be in heaven basking in the light and love of your Creator? Or will it be in hell? In darkness, separated from God for all eternity? That's the only choice. Save your soul. Give it to Christ. And heaven will be yours. God's promised it. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and praise you. And Lord, we are amazed as your creation the price that you paid, the sacrifice that you made for our souls, that our souls might live for eternity with you. And Father, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here <clears throat> that we would rededicate our lives, our souls to you. And if there's anybody here who hasn't made that hasn't made that choice yet, hasn't made that decision, I pray that you do it today. Give your life to Christ. It's very simple. You just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. I want to start living today. And I want to enjoy eternal life with you forever. It's that simple. Father, we just pray that you would Continue to bless us here that you would continue to pour your spirit out as we, as we celebrate, celebrate the sacrifice that your son made for us. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.